Welcome back to the Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording from a beautiful mountain cabin studio here in Sewanee, Tennessee, surrounded by beautiful, rich forests and gorgeous waterfalls. Tonight, or this morning, depending on whether you are me or my guest, um, have a really exciting guest. It's Victoria Duda. She's a hypnotherapist, a social anthropologist, but she likes to call it spiritual anthropologist, and she is a consciousness researcher. And although I'm in Tennessee, she is in Hungary. So welcome, Victoria. Thank you for being here. Hi, Thomas. Thank you for inviting me. Very excited for the mysterious conversation to come. Uh, So am I. You know, I always think it's a kind of magic that you can sit on the outside of the of the world and we can still record something together so very excited to be here as well and it sounds there's no delay either it sounds like you're in the same room it does sound like it yes so to get started could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your interests and your research and your occupation and uh yeah just kind of let us let the listeners know who you are as best you can sure um yes i like to call myself a student of human nature you know i have this very deep passion to understand how as human beings we work and where we're from and where we're going and i can truly say it's a deep passion because it wasn't an occupation that i've chosen I actually started off as a lawyer. I was quite rational. I went to law school. I started working in Vienna as a business lawyer. And it all looked at I'm on a good track to a good career. And then it all started. It was an inner voice that became stronger and stronger every day. It started to give me dreams, uh, strange feelings, um, kind of overwhelming necessity to start studying something that goes deeper. And I was passionately interested about, you know, in things like how the mind works and how human beings all over history have worked with the mind, how they have achieved altered states of consciousness, what they have used them for. And um, this interest and the fact that I wasn't actually working in this field has produced a deep crisis. It's a little bit like when you read in anthropological literature or when you visit an indigenous people who have still shamans and people who actually go into the state of consciousness as a a life profession, so to speak. Um, They often start their career like that with an illness, which we call the shamanic illness, you know, they don't want to be shamans because they know what kind of responsibility that is. And they also know that it's not an easy road. So they often try to get out of it. They try to just be a normal human being and then they get ill, they get physically ill. And that started to happen to me. I got so physically ill 
And at the same time, inside me, the dreams were telling me that this is not my right path, that I actually had to change. And then my life happened in a way that I was traveling a lot. And I ended up first in Mexico, and then I ended up in the United Kingdom, in England, and uh, there I had the opportunity to go to school again. And I went to the London College for Clinical Hypnosis, and that's how it all started. When I went there the first time, it felt so right that I felt I'm not walking on the street. I felt like I was levitating a little bit above the ground. And ever since I'm doing that, and it's been an absolute extraordinary journey. So happy to share whatever happened questions you have about it yes plenty of Mm. questions come up could you tell us a little bit more about that crisis um obviously don't go into any details that that are irrelevant or private but just about the process a little deeper of being a a business lawyer who suddenly has these sort of the spiritual crisis and ends up being a, you know, a spiritual hypnotherapist. Um, That's a pretty amazing transformation. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you went through? It started very nicely. And I think that's quite a typical thing that at the beginning, nothing horrible happened. So what I remember that I was lying in my bed one night and I started to feel a kind of tiny little whirlwind, I think the best way to put it, on my forehead. Today I would say my third eye chakra was activating. But at that time I had no idea about any of that. I just felt that there's a pressure at my forehead which felt very weird and like a tiny whirlwind trying to literally go through my skull into my brain and it became almost painful and then it happened again and again it did become painful so I almost went to the doctor but something inside of me could even at that time tell that this is nothing organic and uh, that there is something going on that is different from anything I've ever experienced and then when that started at the same time I started to have dreams And in the dreams, I had my guides. I called them now my guides. At that time, I had no idea who these people were. And one of them manifested as an old man who started to make fun of me at night in my dreams and started to show me different things that all led to basically the conclusion that reality is not as we perceive it. So he did things like Hmm. uh, put his hand in front of my face and then took his hand off and just threw it away in the air and laughed at me and said, you really think that my hand is physically real? And started laughing about me and said, you're so embedded in the physical that you are actually stupid. And he kept calling me stupid in a funny way. (laughs) And (laughs) I got more and more annoyed by these dreams. And then the dreams turned into even something more dramatic. You see what's happening here. It's become more and more step, step by step more serious. Because the next thing I remember that happened to me that I was actually lifted out of my body. And that was, if, if I have to ever talk about a turning point, that was the turning point. Because um, suddenly I saw myself lying in bed and I myself, my consciousness was on, on, at the ceiling. 
And I was looking down and I saw myself and my partner at the time sleeping in the bed in the physical. But at the same time, I was still in the room, but I was on the ceiling. And the same guide appeared and said, you see, um, we are showing you this experience so that you understand what we are talking about, that you are not your physical body. And he also said, and when I say said, I don't mean in a language kind of way, but more like a kind of telepathic knowing. I was instantly knowing what I was meant to know. And he was saying that this is exactly how it will feel when you die. And this is exactly how it feels when people die. And we are showing it to you because you're meant to tell others. And that was a point that was actually super, super interesting. So I wasn't afraid or I wasn't pushed. I wasn't pressured at that time. But I just felt, wow, this is just so interesting. I want to know more. And uh, that was one thing. But then you're experiencing something so interesting. It doesn't mean that you're going to change your life. And I didn't at the beginning. So I was still doing my day job and I was still mainly um, working in law. I was starting to read books, but I was old. And then I started to get these thoughts, which were also like an internal thoughts that I was meant to do this. Um, I was meant to work with people and with um, under any, any sort of understanding of human nature. I was meant to do that full time. And when I resisted that call, um, which I think most people do, most people tend to resist the call when they hear it. Uh, to begin with, that's when I started to get ill. And um, first my stomach was attacked and I got very horrible kind of stomach pains and gastritis and uh, to the point where I couldn't sleep. It was so painful. I had to go to the doctor. I had to completely change my diet, completely change my lifestyle. Um, then I had an accident that was so severe that doctors told me that by the time I reached my 30s, I won't be able to walk and stuff like that, which luckily didn't turn out to be the case because when I then um, took the call and I started to change my lifestyle, my profession, these things just took care of themselves. Wow. I learned how to do yoga and how to take care of my back and all that. But I it, looking back, they were all warning signs. And I think this is how it happens. Um, you know, I'm a great believer, and it's also something that I do as a hypnotherapist to help people to find what I like to call um, the existential program. You know, that's a phrase that's coming from the IAC, from the International Academy of Consciousness. And I like the phrase, um, they use um, the phrase um, existential program, which means that we believe everybody on earth is here to fulfill a certain mission, to learn some lessons, but also to teach something to help other people to evolve. And it's very specific for every person. And it takes time and it takes uh, patience and it takes courage to find that existential program. But I think if people don't do it, um, they either become ill or they become very melancholic or they always feel that something is not fulfilled in their lives. On the other hand, if they do start working on their existential program, it is giving them a sense of ecstasy a sense of elevation that is with you every day. And it's literally like living in another world. It's very, very beautiful when people step into that existential program and they start fulfilling it. It's, it's, it's magic. It's pure magic. Life is never the same again. Have you ever read the 
Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph oh, Campbell. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because it completely resonates with that, yes. It's the refusal of the call, no? Yeah, everything you're saying is uh, described in great depth with yes. eloquence, with examples from every culture and yes. every religion and every mythology. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the hero with a thousand journey, you know, the hero's journey in general, it's something that captured my attention very, very deeply. Also because I, I love to write in a creative way. I like to do creative writing, which is another expression of studying human nature. You know, there is hardly a way better to study human nature than to, to look into a story, you know, to write a story or tell a story. Um, and I was actually at the time when I was first um, exposed to to the hero's journey, the, it's an interesting thing because the creative writer in me started to rebel, you know, because I don't know whether you're aware, but this, this scheme is, is used a lot by creative writers oh, and screenwriters yeah. and people who are telling stories, you know, they use the hero's journey as a kind of blueprint. And as I said, I was rebelling against it. I said, I can't believe it. I can't believe that every story has to fit that scheme. So I actually sat down and I said to myself, okay, let's write a story that doesn't fit the Campbellian scheme. It doesn't have to be a good story, but I want to create a story to prove it wrong. Whoa. And, and, and I sat down and I started chewing my pen and I started to think and I started to write this and that. And you know what, Thomas? It was amazing. No matter what I did, I could not come up with a story <laughs> in the scheme. Or if I wrote something that didn't fit the scheme, it was no longer a story. It was just a telephone book, you know? Whoa. So I was really puzzled by that. I said, how come that as a creative writer, I'm just not capable of breaking that scheme? And then I came to the conclusion that it is because it's not just a story that we're writing that fits the scheme, but our whole life, our whole way of thinking, our whole human reality is a hero's journey. And there's nothing that we can do to, to get out of that. And I, I didn't even understand why not until I spoke to Raymond Moody. Uh, do you know Raymond Moody, who's the first person who started to coin the term near-death experiences? I think I met, I, I, I know his name. I, mm. Maybe mm. maybe he was at one of the conferences I went to and gave a presentation, but or maybe he's just referred to so often in the presentations. He's very famous because he really started studying near-death experiences. And uh, you probably, yeah, it's, it's easy that you might have um, come across him at a conference. I met him in London because he gave a workshop and I, went there and actually it was quite an amazing experience because I have never met someone more compassionate and humane and modest and lovable human being than, than Raymond Moody. You know, it was a fantastic meeting. You know, when I show up and he comes to me, he came to every person who came to his workshop, he came to us personally thanking us to go there. Wow. Yeah, imagine he's coming up to me and he says, I'm Raymond Moody and I want to thank you to come to my workshop because it's such an honor that you spend your Saturday afternoon with me. 
I, I didn't find words. It was, and it was genuine. And anyway, the reason why I mentioned this to you, because it was Raymond Moody who I got a chance to talk about a hero's journey a little bit. And he said that one thing that most near-death experiencers told him was that they can talk about their near-death experience, but they can never really describe it because it's impossible to talk about that state in human terms because, and this is where it's becoming interesting, because they say that death is no longer a story. They say that their consciousness doesn't stop at the at the moment of death, but the whole experience starts to speak, stops to become a story. So almost like life, the, def, the very definition of life is that it is a story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Mm. So in that moment, this whole year's journey just got a completely different meaning to me because I just realized that's our life. So I'm actually working with the hero journey a lot in therapy because the way you look at your life, the way you look at the story of your life has a great impact on how it unfolds. You know, do you see yourself as a positive hero? Do you hear, see yourself as a victim? Mm. Do you, do you, for example, one thing that I noticed in therapy when, um, you know, someone comes to me and tells me about a problem they have. And of course, as a therapist, you want to, have a feeling for how much they are capable of change and how you can help them to change. And one thing that I noticed is that people who can change, people who can come out of any sort of difficult situation, you know, some people go through real horrors in life. They, they lose people that are important to them or they lose their jobs. They lose the meaning in their lives. They maybe face a or went through a horrible illness or an accident or, you know, any kind of, hard stuff that life is throwing at you. And some people can completely come out of that and start new and other people don't. And what's the difference? And I realized that people who can deal with horrible things, they tend to see themselves at the beginning of the story. Mm. You know what I mean? They say, oh, right now I'm finding myself on the street without a penny in my pocket where I'm going. So they see that the situation is a beginning of a story. And if they see that as a beginning of the story, anything can happen. They can visualize themselves meeting someone who's going to help them to find a new work, to find a new purpose, to find new friends, to find new family. But if they see themselves as, oh, I ended up on the street or I ended up in this horrible situation, if they see that that situation is the end of the story, then they will never be able to change and come out of that. So sometimes all we have to do is take our problems and put it at the beginning of the story. This is the this is, <laughs> this like is the first moment in the story. This is how the film starts. It's not how the film ends. So like it can that. be very, very powerful to think like that. Yes. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by <clears throat> little shifts of um, uh, attitude or Basically, yeah. all, all these little, um, I guess, dimensions or um, lines where you can flip it. I, I do. A, mm. I play with that a whole lot. I do it when I play drums. 
flip, mm. flipping where I feel the downbeat and switching it to the upbeat and switching it back to the downbeat. Right. Um, playing with when I run, I play with feeling, uh, for example, that I'm staying still and the world is coming toward me or when I'm walking around, I like doing that or driving or, you know, when you draw a, one of those three dimensional cubes, you draw it with a pencil, you draw yeah. two squares overlapping diagonally and connect their edges. You can see it two different ways. And I like looking at it and getting my mind to see it one way and then flip it to the other and then flipping back and forth and back and forth, building up rhythms with <clears throat> finding all these different ways that I can switch my perception to two sort of opposite views and then trying to find the place where I can loosen that and make it really easy to slide back and forth between the two possibilities. I also practice a lot. If I find something I'm not good at doing with my left hand, I practice doing it with my left hand. For example, today I, I thought, well, I should try chopping wood or splitting wood using the ax left-handed. And wow. <laughs> I'm e easing into it. But I, I did it, you know, once and it actually worked really well. And, and just all those little reversals of, of things that we think are set. Um, even the, I think the, the biggest one that I experiment with, and to me, maybe this is the most healing psychological kind of trick that I know of very powerful and it's it's actually potentially because it's so powerful it's very challenging because it invokes every single part of us but to see ourselves as the entire universe instead of as us in the universe yes. instead of you know I'm here's me and then there's everything else instead yes. sensing myself as something that everything else is doing and yes um, really to maintain that state is essentially the kind of the essence of what's called mystical. And yeah, Absolutely. I, I love every little, I, 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 every little game like that, that we can play and switch around. It always loosens up something that we naturally are oh, totally. to hold tight okay. to. Yes. And, and one thing that while you were talking that really caught my attention when you said that while you're running, you're pretending that you're standing still and then the world is coming towards you. It caught my attention because I, I've been doing the same thing. <laughs> but, but also because it is it is very hypnotic. So when when we do hypnosis, you know, the way we learn it and the way it's done 99% of the time is that the hypnotherapist is using their voice. You know, so if I now begin to change a little bit the sound of my voice, and I am asking you to begin to listen to the sound of my voice. And if I'm telling you that the more you're listening to the sound of my voice, the more relaxed become, then very soon you are actually going to go into a different state of mind, 
into a more deep and more relaxed state. Where you can begin to work on yourself and to create changes from within. Right? <laughs> so we start talking to that. We do switch into an altered state, right? Slowly but surely. But the funny thing is that although this is used almost most of the time, it's actually just one out of many ways. And they actually found it out with sports hypnosis. I was doing a lot of sports hypnosis uh, a couple of years ago where you, you don't want to do this with an athlete, do you? You can imagine that if you, if you do this kind of relaxation with an athlete, and for athletes, self-hypnosis and your altered states are extremely important. You know, Olympic athletes use altered states to like just get that little edge to be just that little better than everybody else. So, but you don't want to relax them in that way. So what we started to come up with is a kind of kinesthetic induction. Uh, what I mean by that is to use your body and your body's motions to do get you an altered state. And running is like fantastic for that. So I think what you've been doing, Thomas, I don't know whether it was conscious or just you are like a natural. But when you do that kind of visualization that you're on a treadmill or you're just standing still in the world is like a big 3D movie theater that is moving towards you and that's how you're running. That's a hypnotic state. That's very interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited to, to speak about hypnotic states and hypnosis because I, although I'm, you know, fairly uneducated on the topic in sort of the traditional way, as far as I know, my entire life style and my main activities are all based on hypnotizing myself that's what i just wanted to say i think you have yeah i think you're very very advanced probably without maybe you have not called it like that you know maybe you have not um, put a theoretical background to it but it's definitely there i can sense it with you so one thing i do a lot for example practicing drums is i'll i'll put some sort of uh some sort of mandala or something in front of me that's and I'll gaze at it and play the exact same beat without changing anything mm-hmm. for I'll set a timer do it for an hour sometimes two hours sometimes three hours <clears throat> I used to at once a week play drums by a fire from sunset mm. till sunrise and I would gaze at the fire and not keep my eyes off the fire and I was very, very disciplined about it and did that every week. Um, I've spent a lot of, I used, there's quite a while where every once a week I would also sit on a rock and meditate. I would ohm for the entire day. And so I do a lot of, even when I'm, you know, chopping wood or whatever, that's, that's not what I always bring up because that's what I do all day these days. But or splitting wood, I I turn everything into a, I think of it as meditative, but I think, and and I want to hear you tell us more about this, but I think, you know, meditation and hypnosis are obviously very interrelated. So on that note, could you tell us more about the process when you are doing a hypnotherapy session? You've already, you did a very dramatic example. I already feel better, but Uh, Yeah, help us understand a little better what 
hypnotherapy is and particularly what hypnotherapy is when someone's working with you? You know what? I use the word hypnotherapy and I use it because that's on my qualification and that's what society accepts. But sometimes I don't want to call it like that. And the reason why I don't want to call it like that, because in the moment when you say the word hypnosis, most people visualize that kind of stage hypnotist, you know, goes on the stage and who is using their own will to manipulate others. When I snap my fingers, click like a chicken. (laughs) Exactly. And make them do embarrassing things. And it's kind of horrible in a way, right? (laughs) Now, when I started (laughs) using hypnosis uh, professionally, when I started studying, because I've been doing it on and off since my childhood, I think I was kind of born with it, but I didn't, like you, I didn't know that that was hypnosis. But when I started to become more aware of what what that is, and when I started studying that, I realized that actually there is a type of hypnosis like that. You know, you can use your energy and your will to manipulate another human being. And uh, you could pretend that that could be used therapeutically, like I could tell someone who's um, doing something bad for themselves, you know, they have a bad habit and I can tell them not to not to do that and stop doing that. Or I can tell them not to be afraid if they have a phobia or something like that. So theoretically, that would be possible. But when I started practicing, I immediately could feel that that is completely wrong. It's unethical. It's unethical and it's not working. You know, if um, someone is coming to me and let's say they want to lose weight, which is a um, thing that I, I, I did a lot in previous years, you know, helping people to lose weight. If I hypnotize them, so to speak, into not eating uh, chocolate or doing more exercise or whatever, it might even work, but it might work maybe for three, four months because then these suggestions would be, well, they would weaken over time, but they would also be overridden by all the advertisement and commercials that we hear, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and there's plenty of commercials for chocolate and all sorts <laughs> of unhealthy stuff out there. So it, it won't be a long-term solution anyway. So what I found, and this is how I work today, that instead of doing these kind of, I suggest to client something and I'm putting my, will and my energies on someone i just like to put them into a relaxed state of mind and when they are in that relaxed state of mind and they can be taught some techniques to find whatever they need for themselves and this is when it becomes really beautiful you know i just sit there I mean, these days I do 99% of it on Skype anyway. I'm not even in the same room. So I'm just a voice that is guiding them. But they are not alone. I'm there and then I'm suggesting them a technique that I think is the best suitable for whatever they're working on. And the beauty is that you can always awaken the wisdom within the person. So I very firmly believe that we all know what is the best for us because we all have a higher self. We all have a connection to the higher realms. So I will, for example, if you come to me and want to have an answer to a life question we could help with in hypnotherapy, my philosophy always is that I have no idea what the answer to that question is. Uh, I might have an answer, but that's probably not the right for you because it's the answer that I'm coming up with. You know, that's 
suitable for my life, for my lifestyle, for my life experiences, but it might not be suitable for, for you. So instead, what I'm trying to do and where I see my work as a hypnotherapist is to give you a space, to give you a space that is relaxed enough and allowing enough and to give you techniques that are helping you to facilitate a certain quest for a certain answer and then lead you to that point inside of your own mind, deep inside of your own mind where you have your own answer. So you might meet an archetype within you. You might meet a part of you. You might go back into a past life of you. You might go into a dream of you. You might go into any sort of inner scenario where you find the answer for yourself. And I think that's where the magic happens. And then we get all connected to our own inner um, wisdom. I really like hearing you say that because that very, very clearly touches uh, or it, it parallels and it's almost precisely a restatement of my personal approach to sound therapy mm. and which is a very unusual these days. Basically, the, the most common and popular approach to sound therapy, at least what people say they do, is they say you have, you know, some particular issue or condition, and then I'm going to uh, subject you to this very specific frequency or very specific sound or very specific sound pattern and then that's gonna fix it or awaken it or decrease it whatever the effect that's wanted say you know you have they say you have too much energy in your or not enough energy in your throat chakra mm. and then they'll say well this singing bowl I promise it's tuned to the throat chakra frequency and then they'll play it on your throat chakra to do to to fix whatever they think is wrong or and it goes on and on it gets much more sort of pseudo medical where they say you know this you have a blood condition I'm going to play you the blood frequency yeah and <clears throat> much uh, quite different than that first of all I've I've tried yeah i've spent a lot of time studying ancient and indigenous ways of using sound for mm. healing and in my studies of that i can't find any examples that support that approach that's a of modern pharmaceutical approach when you picture you know picture even on a funny movie or something uh, the 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 witch doctor, the medicine man, when they're singing their song or playing their drum, even in the sort of cliched image in our mind, you can't picture them, you know, doing something like, oh, you have a you know, broken arm. Here's the magical broken arm frequency. Or something like that. What they'll do is they'll, yeah. they'll do something much more complicated or elaborate and living and organic and in looking at all the commonalities with sound healing 
uses all around the world by with indigenous and ancient cultures is that the, I tried to discover what's in common with them. And what's in common with them, as best I can tell, is primarily, mostly what you just described. Um, there's obviously other parts to it, just like there's other parts to what you do. But essentially, putting the person, creating an, an environment, and in, in my case, creating a sonic environment, an environment that includes sounds moving around the body, includes sounds moving through the body, sounds in your ears and vibrations in your feet or whatnot, creating some sort of sonic environment that helps the person relax into the state where they will more, where the state where it's, more convenient to let your body heal itself. Mm. I kind of, I like to use that word convenient, putting yeah. someone in a place where it's almost inconvenient not to relax. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's sort of backwards from how people usually say it. They usually say, you know, you're going to put somebody in a state. But what I've realized, and I, I, I do a lot of, of vent production and I use that terminology in event production a lot because what I I like to focus on designing events so that mm. it's inconvenient for people not to be their happiest, best, most creative yes. self. So, for example, you know, one really easy example is if you wanted to create an event where it helped people not smoke cigarettes or something make it inconvenient to smoke and really fun to be where you can't smoke so absolutely so where it's so exciting inside where the this this or that's happening but if you want to smoke you have to go to this you know you're allowed to smoke but it's so inconvenient you'll do it a lot less but nobody's forcing yes. you yes. and using sound essentially to do what you were saying to put the person into a circumstance where it's more likely that they'll let their body heal itself. Mm. And you're so right. Yes. yes. Because who am I or anyone else to claim they know what exactly needs to be done? If you, to be honest, I think I'm, I'm completely with you and I'm starting to adopt more and more this um, philosophy that, no human being has the right to tell you what is right for you or what will help you in any way because they don't know. No matter how many doctorates, PhDs they have, I think it's always a learning procedure. So we live in a culture where obviously you go to the doctor, whoever, and they give you a pill. And that's why probably the same paradigm goes into sound healing you have a problem with your knee, you get the knee sound, it's a prescription, it's mm -hmm. instant, it's fixed. And actually what you take away from the people is the adventure of what their knees are telling them or yes. what they can learn through that. Or, you know, we come back to the hero's journey. I think everything is an invitation to go on to the hero's journey. And when you see it like that, when you see your life as an adventure where everything is either um, a 
path to a friend or a path to a challenge. You know, when someone is a is an enemy, they are not necessarily bad for you in the sense, but they are teachers that help you to realize something or to learn a new skill or to overcome a certain kind of obstacle. And when you adopt that kind of philosophy, everything in life is interesting. And it's beautiful to live. No matter what's coming at you, you will be interested in it, even if it's inconvenient or or unpleasant or you would label it bad. But if you if you live it in as, as an adventure, then that is a dragon to to fight, or you know, it all becomes a, a positive kind of challenge. And to take that away from the people, you know, by by fixing them externally, and, it's actually taking away the meaning of their lives. And that's I assuming every- that the fixing actually could work that way in the first place. You know, it, yeah. in my experience, it it those the that's not really how it works. No, because it will come back. So if the doctor fixes something for you, but you have not. Um, how to say that? I, I don't want to say if you haven't learned your lesson because it sounds a bit too cliche, but it's about if you have not made the experience yourself, then it will come back. Which, of course, doesn't mean I'm not saying here that, you know, if someone breaks their legs, that it shouldn't be a doctor who's, who's helping them to put it in a. Absolutely. That's. Uh... You know, so th- this is not, I'm, I don't want to, to sound like that because, yes, there there is a lot of ways that doctors can help and there's a lot of ways externally we can help but what I'm trying to say here is don't take away the experience from people don't take away their um, authority that it's actually their lives and and they have to know what is best for them and they have to get to a point where they know and they are happy to know what is best for them don't disempower them because I think that kind of healing where you just fix them externally is a disempowerment where someone is putting themselves in a more powerful position than that person is. And that is where it's becoming dodgy, when there is a hierarchy. If the, if the healer is is maybe like, you know, in a fixing a broken bone or something, but they are, they are just like providing a service for, for a certain situation, which is completely fine, but they don't put themselves in a, in a position of authority. Yes. Have you read Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson? I haven't that, no, actually. Well, I definitely recommend reading it. One of the greatest works of American literature, at least. Um, it's one, it's a, an extraordinary essay. But mm-hmm. he, he makes, he very, very eloquently and beautifully expresses that basically what you just said that each individual is essentially the expert on being that person there's nobody in the world there's nobody who knows what it's like to be you or what you need that's the same idea yeah but your relationship to the universe or to god or however you look at it that's you're the highest expert on that and no one else knows. Of course, on you know very specific topics, there's people that know more than than any of us, and those are the people we go to to learn from about those topics. But on the topic of being you, you are the only expert. And I think that 
likewise, um, the body, when we're thinking of the body healing, it's a self-healing mechanism, and it's so complex, and it's so uh, the mind and the emotions and the all the organs. There's just so many different things going on when somebody has you know, their knee hurts, it could be some emotional thing. It might not mm. necessarily be a knee problem from the beginning. Mm. There's, it's all interwoven and with, with sound, and it sounds very, very similar to what you're talking about with hypnotherapy. My approach and the approach that I have seen to be most uh, prominent historically is essentially that the body heals itself and using sound as a way to bring someone back to their center. Oh, it's, it's, the, the body is, the mind and the body and the mind-body interaction is just so incredibly powerful. And I'm always amazed by what the mind can do. You know, I've seen healing, I've seen people healing from anything. I've seen cancer healing, HIV healing. I'm not saying it's happening every in every case, but I've seen it happening. I virtually, you know, like haven't seen any disease that I haven't seen a human being healing from with the power of the mind. And it's one of the things that I'm always so puzzled by when doctors say things like, oh, it is just placebo. Hmm. This was just a placebo effect. And I'm always asking myself, what does the word just, just yeah. have to do in this sentence? You know, you have this, what they call the placebo effect. It's almost like a non-existence, like an imaginary kind of thing. And it's the ability of the body to heal itself. And they call it just the placebo effect. If I was a doctor, I would only study the placebo effect. Yeah. Nothing else. It's the only thing that's really interesting. How does that work? Why can the mind... And the body interaction heal, and it can heal anything. I'm convinced of that. And when I say it's not happening in all the cases, also because people sometimes oversimplify that and make it sound too easy. They say, "Oh, you can, you can fix that." And in some cases, you can. In others, because we are extremely complex as human beings, you know, we can't. So there is, I think, there also is very important not to have any judgment. You know, when it happens, when it doesn't happen. Why some people, some people might go through the same experience for different reasons. So it's, again, it's something very important that we don't judge. You can't judge from the outside what people can and what they cannot do or what they're supposed to or what they're not supposed to. I'm also quite, um, yeah. So my favorite way of looking at sound healing is... Uh, coming from what we were just talking about is really based on a holistic approach essentially using sound to help the person essentially reorganize or re uh, bring sort of re-up their collaboration of all their parts of themselves for everything yeah. from from their emotions memories and thoughts and intelligence to their body motions, postures, body processes, using sound to help unify the person as one. And that process of unifying a person back into one thing instead of a bunch of separate things, like is, you know, analogous to 
when you're meditating, you're unifying your thoughts into one mm. thought. Can you tell me about how that relates to your approach and experience with hypnotherapy, its relationship to that concept of unifying all the disparate parts of someone? Absolutely. Um, many thoughts are coming into my head now. One thing is that I have tried your sound table and unfortunately only for five minutes. I would have loved to stay on there. It was, as you remember, it was just in a conference in the break. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was absolutely amazing um, experience. I started to feel, um, you know, if I stayed longer there, I would have probably had an out-of-body experience or something like that. It was extremely powerful. And what I'm thinking about that, you know, having had that brief but very dramatic experience with that and then doing my hypnotherapy, I think the two are would be very, very complementary because what I found with hypnotherapy, obviously hypnotherapy is working mainly with thoughts on the level of thoughts. Now, we all know that thoughts are extremely powerful and we live in a era where that is also quite fashionable. You know, we hear a lot about the law of attraction and how you create a reality with your thoughts. And essentially, that's also what hypnotherapy is working with. You know, we are trying to find the thoughts inside a person that are responsible for something. And if that's causing a problem, then we change the thoughts that they so that they don't cause a problem, that they cause something mm. beneficial. And that's, of course, extremely powerful. And it's working very, very well in most cases. And then, you know, it's a hierarchy. When your thoughts are better, then your words become better. When your words are becoming better, then your actions are becoming better. And when your actions are becoming better, then your habits are becoming better. And when your habits are becoming better, your whole life is becoming better. So that does work. But I found at one point during my work that it's not working all the time. There is a kind of type of problem where I can change the thoughts as much as I like. It's not going to happen. And I've, I asked myself, what's, what's that? You know, what's, when is that happening? That I can change the thoughts as much as I want and it's not making any difference. And I thought to myself, oh, that's when the pyramid has an even deeper layer. layer. There's something even deeper than thoughts. And I called them energies, in lack of a better word. But I think it also is the thoughts that are already embedded in the muscles, that they're so deep that they don't come as conscious thoughts anymore. But they are mm. maybe old thoughts or maybe very deeply ingrained thoughts and they become muscle memory. Um, they become part of your, your body and they also become part of the energy field that is, that is you and that you live in. And um, when that's the case, then you have to start healing on an energetic level. And I think, and, and on, a, on a bodily level, you know, like Wilhelm Reich, who I think was one of the most, um, one of the earliest pioneers of, you know, understanding about energies, but he's been, he's been persecuted quite severely. I don't know whether you know his case, but his books were burned and he was, he was locked up in a, in a lunatic asylum, basically, totally persecuted by the authorities um, because he started to understand that he started to understand what energies are and how they work and how they affect the body and how the muscle is retaining memories of potentially also traumatic experiences and he had certain methods to release that and i think your your sound tables might do exactly the same 
So I would be very interested to probably have more conversations with you in the future about how the two approaches could be linked, you know, to work on the level of thoughts with a kind of hypnotherapy approach and at the same time using the sound table to go into issues that are deeper than that. Yes, I'm interested in that conversation indeed. And um, yeah, and the other thing, what you asked about parts, about unifying the parts, just a couple of thoughts about that. One big part of hypnotherapy, the way I do it, is we actually call it parts therapy, where you have an issue that seemed to be causing trouble, or you have a goal that you can never reach. I give you a very simple example. Someone wants to lose weight. The goal is to lose weight. And they have all the good intentions and they start to do all the good things. They start to eat more healthy. They start to do more exercise and all that. But then on day three, four, five, six, or day 33, they start to eat chocolate and they start to drink more Coke and stuff like that and watch more TV. And, you know, it's all sneaking back the old habits. And then people even literally say things like that. They say part of me wants to lose weight, but the other part wants to just be comfortable. So that's when a type of therapy kicks in, what we call parts therapy. And we literally, it's it's a completely schizophrenic type of thingy because you sit there and you usually have your open palms in your lap and then you visualize one part into one of your hands and the other parts of the other half of the hands and then you have an internal conversation between these parts and you try to bring them to a conclusion, to a compromise. Because what will probably happen is the one part says, oh, yes, I want to be more fit. But then the other part says, but I need the comfort. I have an internal pain or insecurity that I need to feed with this little bit of chocolate. Maybe I have an internal child that is not taken care of. Or even more dramatically, some people might say, a part of me doesn't want to be fit and um potentially more attractive because I've been sexually assaulted before and I need to protect myself. And the layer of fat that I'm building is a protection, like literally like a wall. And I need that. I need to protect myself. Mm. That's a very serious issue because that part is trying to take care of you just as much as the other part. And in that case, what we do is exactly the same what you were describing. We're trying to bring these parts together. We're trying to unify the person's energies You're trying to say to the part that tries to protect the person, say, okay, well, that's a very valid approach. You want to protect yourself. So can you think of a better way to protect yourself? Maybe learn self-defense or something. Or the internal Hmm. child that needs comfort. Yeah, maybe we comfort you with something else. Maybe you need a hug instead of a chocolate. (laughs) Maybe you want to go out and make more friends that give you hugs so that that's to your comfort and then you don't have to eat the chocolate or just a little bit of it. And then you bring the parts together, and then when they when they form like a unit unity, that's when you are beginning to change. Beautiful. So that that resonates as very much. Yeah, there, I I have, I don't think I have any client ever these days who who is not working with parts at one level or the other. Yeah, that really reminds me of um, <clears throat> essentially what I visualize, and which is actually what's physically happening when somebody is um, on a sound table or a sound immersion system. They have all the different parts of their body and their mind 
all essentially microscopically dancing to the same song. So it's kind of like yeah, yeah. introducing That's a exactly how it felt, actually. collaboration. Exactly how it felt, yeah. It's a collaboration between every cell and and even our mind because we you know we mentally respond to the sound too. Um, I'd like to change uh, course for a moment and since we've already been talking a quite a while and I expect maybe if uh, I might get lucky and you'll want to come back and be on the show again um, bef- while we're yeah taking a little stop from talking could you tell us or from the conversation could you tell people how they can reach you or your websites or information any information you'd like to share with people about how to learn more about you or any anything like that yeah so thank you very much first of all thank you for inviting me and i would definitely love to have a lot more conversations with you and also thank you for asking me this question a best way i'm i'm reached is through my website which also has um all the contact um, which is victoriaduda.com. So it's V I K with a K, V I K T O R I A D U D A.com. Um, it's also a great invitation to check out my podcast where you've been a guest, uh, my articles, uh, books, and um, also the research projects that I'm doing at the moment where people can participate. At the moment, it's very much on past lives. So if anyone is interested in exploring their past lives and help a little bit with consciousness research, that's an opportunity as well. We've been doing fantastically interesting work this year where I brought people back into not just their past lives, but also connecting them with, we call it the in-between life period, but it's essentially that state where you are Yes, you're also in between lives, but you're also in between the physical and the non-physical where you can access your purpose. And then we've also gone into imaginary futures to see different ways how people can best fulfill their purpose, like connecting the dots of the past, the present and the future, and to see how it's all related. So there are all these things going on, and um, I would love to have people to check out that on the website and um share their ideas. I love to communicate. I love to communicate with everybody who has interesting ideas. So hope people are interested in that they are more than welcome to contact me and I will be very, very happy to continue talking to you as well. Thomas, I think you're one of the people um, who are very much fulfilling their existential program. I, I can hope so. Very positive energy <laughs> coming from you. It's always a great pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much. Are are you available for any of our listeners to reach out to if they wanted to do one of your remote hypnotherapy sessions? Yes, yes, absolutely. I would love that. So the procedure is the same. If they just check out my website and they fill out the contact form, then I will definitely get back to them. I have a interesting question and feel free to answer it <clears throat> any way you like. But okay. a little while ago, you did sort of a kind of a, an example of your hypnotherapy technique. Is is it is it doable that you could do a, some sort of short 
kind of mini session for our listeners that, you know, you could, I don't know, a little more of what you did earlier. I really liked it. It was very relaxing for me, but maybe that's not, I don't, yeah, let me know what you think about that. I would love to do that. Um, do you want to do maybe a combination of your sounds, my voice, and we put it together into a maybe 10 minute, 50 minute kind of mini meditation and then put it wherever you put it, podcast, we can put it separately there, but then people who want to try that, they could. Oh, that'll be fantastic. So we can just Let's add, do that. We'll just add it later instead of doing it impromptu. It would be lovely adding your sound to it as well. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I think we'll close. And I want to thank you for being here with us. And I'm sure that our listeners enjoyed your very in, or our very interesting conversation. I'm I'm really excited and I'm definitely excited to have you back and I'm excited about the uh, the session that's going to come at the end of this podcast and yeah thank you very much any last thing you'd like to share with the listeners before we go well thank you so much I was just very delighted to be here and um, I have that feeling which is my message to the listeners, but also the message to you is that we will connect. I have that feeling. I was talking to a lovely spiritual friend in England who loves to have this game at the end of every year where you're supposed to pick a word that has the resonance of something that you're hoping to go, somewhere where you're hoping to go in the next year. So it can be love or success or purpose or you know whatever positive word you want to choose for the next year and she was um, this year she was choosing connect and it resonates with me a lot I have that feeling that we are we are moving towards a more spiritual world a lot of us so the way I see the world at the moment is that there is a lot of horrible stuff going on I mean we don't need to go very deep to to see that you know we only have to turn on the news which I don't but if I do then it is almost like watching a horror movie on many levels so there is a lot of horrible stuff going on but at the same time what I observe in the world that certain individuals are exponentially growing spiritually so there is so much growth and so much beautiful um illumination going on some people are so fantastically evolving that I think it's faster than ever before and I don't know about you Thomas but I'm feeling this kind of power it's like a spiritual power that is that is beginning to connect these people and uh, it's fantastic that we have the internet because you know I can talk to you now mm -hmm. from the other side of the world and maybe someone from a completely different place now is listening to it so it's very easy to connect even though we are physically or geographically apart so there is a kind of pulling to find the people who are on our wavelength and to start cooperating so I think if we make that conscious that this is happening then we can also speed up the process and we mm. can make it more powerful so if someone for example wants feels like just listening to me and just feels like 
there is some sort of connection. And even if they don't want a hypnotherapy session or they don't know what is going to be the result of a connection, um, then I would just encourage them to contact me anyway and see where it's taking us because, or contact you or contact anyone they, they feel like contacting because I feel like there is this network, this global network emerging. Well, that which is, is something is so beautiful and I'm very, very welcoming it to happen. Well, thank you for sharing that beautiful imagery to lead us out to our listeners. Thank you very much for listening again to the art and science of sound healing with Thomas Orr Anderson and tonight our guest Victoria Duda and until next time be blessed